Sellers would love to see lower fees. I'd love to see it for my clients, but to date, we haven't seen it. Maybe this pressure will help us there. I was just going to say, when you think about structural remedies, perhaps this is the thing that ultimately twists Amazon's arm and forces it to lower fees to the point that these pricing mechanisms aren't nearly as perverse as the FTC would allege. And they end up having to divest some of their other more far-flung projects. Please. Very interesting. Very interesting. I would not have- There's your next headline, Todd. I can't wait to read it. Why the FTC's <laughs> lawsuit is going to kill Project Kuiper. <laughs> there you go. That's a great one. <laughs> Hello and welcome to GeekWire. I'm GeekWire co-founder Todd Bishop. Well, we like to say what happens here matters everywhere in Seattle. And this week we saw a landmark lawsuit filed by the FTC against Amazon in the U.S. District Court in Seattle. We're going to be talking about it on this episode of the GeekWire podcast. And I'm happy to be joined by Jason Boyce. Jason, it's great to see you. So good to see you, Todd. I jumped up for joy when I got your email. Thanks for having me back on the podcast. Absolutely. So let me tell people who you are. Jason is the co-author of The Amazon Jungle. He's the founder and CEO of Avenue 7 Media, an agency that works with third-party sellers. He also has his own podcast called Day 2. And that may sound familiar to some of the listeners of this show because Jason started that podcast with us at GeekWire before spinning it off on his own. Jason, you were a third-party seller for many years yourself, so you bring a breadth of perspective to this topic, not only your own experience in the field, but your work today with third-party sellers. We'll dive into some of the details of the FTC suit as we go along, but big picture, what are your impressions of this lawsuit? It's been so long awaited. What are your thoughts on it? Um, yes, yeah, 17 years as a seller going on four and a half years as an agency owner where we manage about 120 brands, drive a lot of revenue to the Amazon channel. And my first reaction was, wow, so much has changed at Amazon since we were first starting it, since I'm sure they began the investigation, that it felt like it was a day late and a dollar short mm. in my mind. For example, one of the claims that they make in terms of the logistics that Amazon coerces sellers to use Amazon's fulfillment service FBA. And I saw that and I was like, well, next week they're reopening Seller Fulfilled Prime. So Amazon has now reopened Seller Fulfilled Prime. They've been working on it for the last year. So half of the case, as I read it, disappears tomorrow. So the gist of that is that you, as a seller, have new ways to still be eligible for Prime, even if you fulfill your own products. And David Sapolsky, Amazon's senior vice president and general counsel, he addressed that in a pretty extensive response to the FTC suit. And there was one thing he said on that topic, Jason, that really stuck in my mind because it seemed to me like it was a classic lawyer line. He said, <laughs> we also enable sellers to use the trusted Prime badge when other logistics services are able to meet our prime customers' high expectations for fast, reliable delivery. Now, at least in that statement, that is not a number. That is not something that people yeah. can quantify. That is something that Amazon could decide. And it shows just a little ounce of the power 
that they have because who is the arbiter of whether something meets prime customers' high expectations? Amazon. And do they hold themselves to the same standards as sellers? Probably not. You know, I ordered my four ring cameras on Prime Day and didn't get them until three weeks later. <laughs> and they said, oh, no, we did we did meet the Prime promise. I'm like, no, you didn't. And they said, oh, but from the time it shipped to get to your door, it was only two days. <laughs> and, yet, and I was like, come on, guys. Those cameras come on, guys. still have the badge, I'm sure. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, they still have the badge. Exactly. Now, I would have lost that as a seller. And I did work through the first iteration of the Seller Fulfilled Prime uh, logistics process uh, back when I was a brand and back when I was a seller. And it was very, very hard. Uh, but we liked it because we had three locations across the country and we could ship a lot of big, heavy items that weren't very cost effective for us to have an FBA. And we had the Prime Badge and it always provided a 30 to 40% lift in revenue. I don't know. I think this one's dead on arrival in terms of the case. So here's my big picture thought on this. And you also pointed to another example of something that Amazon recently changed or scrapped they were going to charge an additional fee to sellers who did not use its shipping services. It was going to be an extra 2% fee that they were going to yeah. start imposing effective October 1st. Just recently on September 20th, there were reports that Amazon is scrapping that plan to charge that fee. And of course- Good move. Yes. Now, <laughs> all of this is happening independent of a remedy in an FTC case or an FTC lawsuit. However, it's all happening in the context of the FTC investigation. I'm wondering, is the real story here the fact that the FTC's mere probe is causing Amazon to be reined in? It, it, it may be, Todd, and I think it's a great observation. And certainly, I mean, I remember reading the article. I think you wrote the article, Todd. I read it in GeekWire and saying that the fee was dropped and it was actually I went Reuters. On to link it was Reuters, but that's okay. It, it was Reuters. Okay, giving credit sorry, where it's I was, due. Yeah. I was sorry. There was another article recently that I read from you guys, but but uh, I, I I copied it on my LinkedIn post and I said, look, Amazon, thanks for cutting this fee. We don't care. Amazon sellers don't care why you cut the fee, just that it was cut. Thank you. Yes. Right. And so it's undoubtedly there's some pressure coming from the FTC case. But I gotta tell you, Todd. And you know, you remember how many angry rants I had on the day two podcast when it was under GeekWire's brand, right? Yeah. Um, there, there's been these sort of three phases of the seller game in my mind. Phase one was this is a brand new thing. There's tons of energy. Everyone at Amazon is listening. The employees there are very entrepreneurial. It was like the dawn of a new age, right? That's the first phase. And then the second phase, I'm kind of calling it the middle ages. <laughs> <laughs> you know, you couldn't, you could no longer reach anybody to Amazon to solve your problem. More bots were creating more troubles than they were fixing problems. You couldn't reach anybody. And that's when I started to get really pissed off and it just sort of accelerated all the way up to the point when we were working together on, on day two. And um, more recently, even as early as two years ago, a couple of things changed. And, and I'm calling this the renaissance. And it started when Dharmesh Mehta got up and started using the language selling partners. Hmm. That's when it started. I was very skeptical last year. He launched it at Amazon Accelerate in Seattle. And I said, oh, that's interesting because I remember my first contract selling back in 2003. There was a paragraph that specifically said we could not call Amazon hmm. a partner. So it really stuck in my mind. I said, this is different. This is very different than what I've been used to over the Middle Ages period. This year, Dharmesh Mehta got on stage in September 
at the Amazon Accelerate conference and said, at Amazon, we're customer obsessed. And here on my team, on the Amazon Marketplace team, our customers are sellers. I noticed that. I heard that too. And I stood up and cheered. I was I was a little bit embarrassed because I was the only one that did it. But we have been saying for them to do that for so many years. And you know, for him to get up and validate that thought and then go on stage and talk about all of the things that they are improving because they're listening to sellers is a game changer for, for the seller community. And we're seeing it. So I've kind of come full circle from where we were when we first met, Todd. And so I think half of it may, maybe it has to do with the FTC. I can tell you that there have been a lot of advocates speaking up and jumping up and down on the table and saying, Amazon, listen to us, do something about this. They're listening. But there's also this, you know, it's almost like the old guard is gone. Bezos and Wilkie is gone. Andy Jassy is there now. Doug Doug Harrington has stepped in and Darmesh Mehta, I think, has done a great job. So it's been, it's new. It's, it's, I, I keep wondering when I'm going to wake up from this dream, but it has been a little bit of a dream as a seller lately. And Darmesh, who you're referring to, is Amazon's vice president of worldwide selling partner services. I think they might have even changed his title. Selling partner services. That's right. That's right. Yeah. So Amazon has been making a lot of different changes it's hard to figure out the ultimate motivation because when you look at this, the whole retail landscape is changing. Many things that they're doing are a recognition of the fact that brands want to sell off of amazon.com. Brands don't necessarily want to fulfill through Amazon. Um, In many cases, consumers might be buying from merchants themselves on direct-to-consumer sites. And so they're offering the Buy With Prime program. And so it's hard to sort out at times what's actual motivation from the marketplace, from their various customers, whether that be sellers or consumers, and then this extra ingredient of this regulatory scrutiny that they're seeing. But my contention is, and this is where I'm pushing back a little bit on your dead on arrival comment on the in the beginning, sure. perhaps it's like a salmon that's already served its purpose swimming back upstream to its spawning ground. <laughs> this is a horrible metaphor because it doesn't- This is it. a great Pacific Northwest <laughs> metaphor. Exactly. I love it, Todd. Keep going. But it served its purpose. <laughs> Maybe it is dead on arrival, but it served its purpose in forcing Amazon to make these changes or at least playing a role in the decision-making process that Amazon is going through as it's making these changes that are in the favor of sellers and consumers. Let's call it a win-win, Okay, right? Let's call it a win-win for sellers. I'll, I'll give you that. But in the meantime, the FTC- is still seeking what it's calling, quote, structural remedies. Now, they're not saying exactly what that means, but they've got a real argument here in terms of prices. And I want to jump into that when we come back. You're listening to GeekWire, and we will be right back. I wanted a career in IT, but I didn't know where to start. WGU makes it simple. Their accredited online degree programs cover all kinds of IT specialties, and they have valuable industry certifications built in at no extra cost. The payoff? Having those certs back up my degree makes me look even better to future employers. A nonprofit university that includes top industry certs in their programs? I choose WGU. Learn more at wgu.edu backslash IT certs included. (laughs) 
Welcome back. It's Todd Bishop. I'm excited to be joined this week by Jason Boyce. We've been having fun catching up. We've always had great conversations, Jason. And for people who haven't followed our conversations in the past, the way that I initially became aware of you was in the footnotes of a U.S. House Antitrust Committee report on abuse by various big tech companies, Amazon included. You were in there and you were recounted as a seller who had Amazon leverage your work, undercut you on price, and eventually drive you out of business. So when you say that you've come full circle on this, and in some respects, you're defending <laughs> Amazon's actions against the FTC, that's not insignificant. I mean, look, it's, it is it is a significant shift that uh, Dharmesh Mehta's team has made to listen to sellers apply some of that customer obsessed. Do they, they do they have things that drive me crazy day in and day out? Absolutely. Are they listening to the complaints of sellers now like we had begged them to do for nearly a decade? Yes. And these are not easy fixes. This is a this is a marketplace that has billions of products listed on it every day. Uh, and and there's a lot of technical components that have been built. There's a it can you know I don't want to call it a Frankenstein, but getting to the root cause of some of these problems that drive sellers nuts is taking time. They admit it at least. They never used to do that. And so, yes, um, I sometimes look at myself in the mirror and go, who's this guy who's talking <laughs> up Amazon, right? <laughs> okay. So nitty gritty here. The FTC is saying that Amazon achieved and exploited monopoly power to give itself an unfair advantage in e-commerce to the detriment of sellers in one market, that's the online marketplace services market, and consumers in the online superstore market. Now, yeah. this online superstore market has heretofore not been used legally, as I understand it, and it seems like a bit of a stretch. However, in an interview with Andrew Ross Sorkin on CNBC, FTC Chair Lena Khan gave a pretty strong defense of the way that the FTC is framing this. So the idea of a superstore has actually been well established in the brick and mortar world. So we've had a whole set of antitrust cases that have succeeded when defining a market as the superstore market. And so this case is really applying that context in the online market sense. And, you know, the complaint details why it is we believe that the online superstore market is a relevant market, as well as the market for online marketplace services. But does that mean that the people who are at an online superstore don't compete with everybody else? That's right. There are certain dimensions of competition that only online superstores can fill. And the complaint lays out what some of those key dimensions are in terms of depth and breadth of selection. Um, and so the complaint lays out why it is that we believe these are relevant antitrust markets. One other thing I will note, in antitrust, there are multiple ways to be talking about monopoly power. One is through you know, defining the relevant market, talking about the percentage of that market. The other way is by showing direct evidence of monopoly power. And you can show that by showing that a firm is hiking prices, degrading quality, and not suffering the consequences. And so what this lawsuit does is it talks about the direct evidence of Amazon's monopoly right. power, both with regards to sellers, where it's been steadily increasing the take rate so that it now takes one of every $2, but also with regards to quality. So we lay out in the complaint how Amazon has rolled out this pay-to-play advertising scheme that is actually showing consumers less relevant results and steering them to more expensive products. So Jason, Amazon's response to that is, that's bogus. 
retail is all one big thing. We are not to be judged as a large fish in the small pond of e-commerce. We should be judged as a small fish. I'm, apparently, I'm hungry for salmon or something. A, sm <laughs> a small fish. It's getting close to dinner time. <laughs> a small fish in the ocean that is retail. When you look at retail these days, do you think of it as one big market of physical, online, and everything in between? Or do you think of it as multiple markets, online, physical, and do you separate them as the FTC is doing? I, I see them separate really? as the FTC does. And, and here's why. I mean, Amazon is involved in brick and mortar stores, and quite frankly, they've not been good at it. They made an acquisition to Whole Foods. I My wife shops at Whole Foods. I don't know of anyone who shops at Whole Foods that says that Whole Foods experience is a better shopping experience than it was before Amazon bought them. They're not good at brick and mortar stores. And I personally think the losses that they are taking in the brick and mortar stores are being funded by what they're great at huh. online. If you look at Walmart, it's the other side of the coin. Walmart is amazing at these big superstores. They're 10 miles from every shopper in America. They offer great low prices, et cetera. They've not been great at online. Now they're trying to catch up. And I think that Walmart is doing a lot of great stuff. And they're no longer a rounding error in this online marketplace game, right? They're, they're really putting a lot of dollars and investment into trying to close the gap. I can't say that they're going to catch up, but they're closing the gap. Which leads me to another point. I think Amazon should be looking at itself as this online marketplace. To me, it's separate from physical stores. No one's great at omni-channel. Amazon has tried to do stores. Walmart's tried to do online. Neither one of them are great. I look at the Amazon game, certainly in terms of their 1P retail um, and also their third-party marketplaces. This is an online and you need to look at that market. But here's what's changed, Todd. Here's what's changed since we were talking a few years ago. Walmart's getting stronger. Online. They've got, a, they've got a, a, an ad revenue model that, they're re, that is allowing them to reinvest a lot of money into making a better marketplace. Timu has showed up. Shein has showed up. TikTok has showed up and announced TikTok shop. TikTok has been a great source of traffic to the Amazon platform. These folks, especially the Chinese government-backed entities, are real threats to Amazon that just frankly didn't exist a couple of years ago. A lot of the argument that Lena Khan is making is that Amazon is so big and so powerful that they have so many resources that they can block out markets. Right. Well, now let's apply that to Timu Sheehan and TikTok. The TikTok leaders maybe are in a, in a separate division of this, but Timu and Sheehan are very much backed by the Chinese government. These Chinese companies are partially owned by the Chinese government. They are going to backstop with unlimited resources of capital for, the, for Sheehan and Timu to come into this market and do that at scale. And so I would much rather have Amazon continue to open up to brands, continue to, to, to make changes around the margins that doesn't destroy what, what's good about it, than to have to be beholden to a marketplace, online marketplace app that's backed by the Chinese government, who's going to destroy competition if left unchecked. Okay. But when you look at what the FTC is saying, this gets into the whole pricing issue and the issue of sure. advertising. And let's talk about pricing. Yeah, That's a good you one. You see Amazon in the FTC's allegations able to charge higher and higher fees. In fact, there have been multiple reports and it's cited in the lawsuit 
that for many sellers, and I'd be curious to get your take on this, up to 50% of their revenue goes to Amazon and not to their own bottom line. Yeah. And that's higher than it has been in the past. Third-party seller services, if you look at Amazon's financials, it's a substantial portion of Amazon's business and it's growing. And the pricing argument in a nutshell and the contradiction on the surface is Amazon says, wait a second, all we're doing is promoting lower and lower prices. If something isn't the lowest price possible, we're not going to promote it on our site. And the FTC doesn't dispute that. What the FTC says is, yes. However, at the same time, you are requiring them effectively to charge more because of all the fees that you're charging. And so therefore, the floor that you're putting on these prices is actually much higher than it would be otherwise because what Amazon is doing is inflating the underlying costs. And then when it penalizes companies for selling them at lower prices on walmart.com, for example, it's effectively not only raising the floor on the prices on amazon.com, it's doing that on the internet writ large. And that's where this seemingly contradictory argument by the FTC starts to make sense to me. But here's the thing that's interesting to me in the court document. Almost in the same paragraph, on one hand, FTC is saying Amazon retail is lowering prices for consumers. And on the other hand, the Amazon marketplace is raising prices for consumers. Through this pricing mechanism that they do. Yeah. Through this pricing mechanism. And what was it? They're calling it Project Nessie, something like that. This is just a pricing scraping tool, what I think, right? And an auto pricing matching tool, which of which there are, there are many out there in the market that not owned by Amazon. And so I had to read that paragraph or two, two or three times because I was like, wait, what? How can you argue that they're lowering prices here and that they're raising prices here? I will tell you this. From a seller's perspective, they hate both. They, they hate that they have to compete with Amazon for lower prices. Their fee structure is such that they really cannot compete on certain items, especially low ticket single unit items. The cost structure is just not there for sellers to make any money. Many of them have adapted and are selling multi-packs. Some of the listings on Amazon look a lot like a Costco order you know. now. Uh, and they're doing that because they can make more money by shifting their product assortment and adding multi-packs. Um, and then on the buy box suppression side, this is, you know, I, I rant about this one. No, no Amazon seller likes buy box suppression. From their perspective, if they offer a lower price on Walmart, which could allow them to sell more uh, because the fee structure is less on the Walmart online marketplace, then their listing, they'll be taking out of the own buy box and Amazon's own words. So I sat in a conference, the Amazon call it, so you're ineligible to be a featured item in the buy box if you sell the same product even a penny less anywhere else. And with a smile on his face, the guy that runs this department at Amazon said, and it will cost you 40% of your business. That was their number. Now, I don't care what business you're running. If all of a sudden your top sellers start to lose 40%, you're not going to be able to make payroll next week, right? right? Or you're not going to be able to pay your rent. That is a real serious punishment. Sellers hate it. There's also a separate lawsuit, which is also interesting about this case. There were 17 attorney generals that attached to it. California was not one of them. And California has a lawsuit out attacking exactly this. Buy, sellers call it buy box suppression. Amazon calls it not eligible to be a featured item in the buy box. It's, buy box suppression is a much easier th statement to say or name to call it. 
But that that is frustrating for brands. We would love in the seller community to see that go away. And the whole notion here is that if something's in that featured box, the buy boxes, the industry lingo, it is far and away much more likely to be the version of a particular product that is purchased from that particular seller. And in fact, the percentage of Amazon sales that come from the buy box winner is redacted in the court case. Oh. I would love to see that number. Yes. I would love to see it, Todd. <laughs> It's got to be big. Yes. So the whole notion is that if somebody's selling it for less on walmart.com, and we keep using Walmart as an example just because it's a good one, but if they're selling it for less on walmart.com, Amazon's algorithms, it's not like you know Andy Jassy or Doug Harrington are sitting there you know, pressing <laughs> the buttons saying, suppress right. that product, for, suppress that right, seller's right. listing. No, Amazon's algorithms, and you referred to Project Nessie, which is... Uh, extensive redaction in the lawsuit, which I would love to see. Jason Del Rey alluded to it, reported on it in his book, Winner Sells All. We had Jason on a past episode of the podcast and Amazon at the time told him that they had let go of this project, Nessie. But regardless, these algorithms are going to make it so that these items that are sold for less elsewhere are not featured in that box and therefore do not succeed on Amazon. Now, Jason, these redactions are super interesting. Yeah. And I have a little bit of a window into what's going to happen next based on my own interactions with the FTC on this topic. So let's talk about that. When we come back, you're listening to GeekWire and we'll be right back. This GeekWire podcast is sponsored in part by Yale University Press. Are you concerned about the rise of AI and how it will impact our society? Every day, artificial intelligence presents us with urgent ethical challenges. How do we harness this extraordinary technology to empower rather than oppress? Nigel Shadbolt and Roger Hampson have written a how-to for building ethical machine intelligence. Their new book, As If Human, Ethics and Artificial Intelligence, is now available wherever books are sold. Welcome back. It's Todd Bishop. I'm speaking this week with Jason Boyce. He is the co-author of The Amazon Jungle and the founder and CEO of Avenue 7 Media. He also has his own podcast called Day 2, which I encourage you to check out. So Jason, here is my favorite redaction. The complaint says at one point, quote, Amazon recognizes the importance of maintaining the perception that it has lower prices than competitors. Behind closed doors, however, Amazon executives actively redact it blacked out. <laughs> and it's followed by uh, three can I, paragraphs. <laughs> can, I, can I tell you something? I have two stories to tell you that supports why this is redacted. I remember sitting on a plane going back to Seattle when I was still living in Seattle. I sat next to James Kelly. He was um, a, a very high up at Amazon in the seller, seller services department. And I remember talking to him about you know, this, this buy box suppression, because I'd just seen it and I was so furious about it. And it was killing some of our top sellers because we wanted to sell it, sell products for less on some of the other channels. And he said, listen, if Jeff Bezos wakes up one day and finds that they don't have the lowest prices, it's going to be a very bad day for everyone on his team. Doug Harrington, following that thread last year, got on stage at Amazon Accelerate and said, almost justified was doing his best to to qualify and justify why they do this practice of buy box suppression by saying, we at Amazon know that if we are not the lowest price, that shopper, more than 100 million prime shoppers, will buy less 
on Amazon over the next 365 days. He didn't give the exact number, but it was very clear. And by the way, at that Accelerate conference last September 2022, while I'm walking the floor, I look at my phone and see that the California Attorney General's office files a lawsuit against Amazon for the practice of buy box suppression. So this is, they see this as absolutely critical to the success of not only their retail site, but the online marketplace. If they lose low price or price matching capabilities, they think it will severely hurt their business. And Doug Harrington, for people who may not know, is the CEO of Amazon Worldwide Stores. We've referred a couple times to Accelerate, which is Amazon's annual conference for sellers. It's funny that you mentioned the uh, the lawsuit by California's attorney general hitting at the same time as the conference last year. I was there. I don't think that was my accident. Yeah. I wondered <laughs> if perhaps the FTC's suit that came this week was perhaps originally scheduled for a couple weeks ago because that was when the conference was this year. Yeah. What we know is that these redactions, the blacked out portions of this lawsuit, which are extensive in this initial version, yeah. will not entirely be redacted forever. So what the FTC says is that by default, in cases like this, they black out things that are not currently public at the time they file the suit. But Amazon now has 14 days from the entry of a temporary sealing order to provide legitimate justification for preventing this information from being revealed. And the FTC at least says they do not believe that there are compelling reasons to keep much of this information secret from the public. So you might find out that percentage after all, Jason. I'm anxiously awaiting to see that information. It's very good. You know, back to this this whole pricing thing and the in this part of the of the claim where you're both lowering prices. The retail thing is I feel like that's another piece of the pricing element that's dead on arrival. You know, Todd, there have been secret shoppers walking brick and mortar stores of the competitor store for decades long before the internet was even here. This idea of going out and, and scanning, uh, scraping, if you will, with bots, the competition's price so that you can not only identify, but then automatically match that price is really not new. It's just much more efficient now, thanks to the internet and thanks to the technology. I suspect that Project Nessie has some proprietary technology involved, potentially patents somehow uh, in that technology. And I, I would love to be able to see the unredacted piece of that. But this to me, that 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 uh, the FTC is saying Amazon is seeing what the competitors are doing and they're matching prices, I don't fully understand the logic behind I mean, I'm no lawyer. I don't get the logic behind how that could possibly help them win their case. Buy box suppression, I'm here to talk about that all day. But the other one, it's very confusing to me. Let me make a counterpoint to that one because- Please do. The whole point of the market definition, the relevant market definition, and the reason that the way the FTC is trying to define it is interesting is that as a threshold issue legally, if they can- get Amazon to be recognized by the court as a monopoly, then the rules are different. Suddenly, ah. Aaron Judge is standing up at home plate with weights on his ankles. That's effectively ah. what they're trying to do. They're saying- Two strikes against him when he gets up to the plate. Exactly. This company is too powerful. It's not good for the market. Different rules then apply. They can't 
do some of the same things that smaller players would be able to do because effectively they're leveraging that monopoly. It effectively means they're insulated from the effects of decisions that if others were to make them would effectively be like shooting themselves in the foot. So ah. that that's my understanding. And I have to say, this is, this is based on a 20-year-old understanding of the Microsoft antitrust case. So if there are any lawyers out there who want to correct me, it's Todd at GeekWire.com. That said, as a big picture issue, I know that this question of whether or not Amazon is a monopoly in these two markets that the FTC has laid out in this case is critical as a threshold issue to all of these other things that we're talking about. You know, Todd, I forgot you had a front row seat to that Microsoft case. And, you know, what's amazing, the concessions yep. that they were able to extract from Microsoft, some would say made it possible for Google to be born. Absolutely. And it wasn't even concessions in court where Microsoft had to do all this sort of internal reporting. It was the distraction of that case. It was the just the massive distraction. And frankly, I'm glad you brought that up because I think that's one of the most interesting things here. Yes. Andy Jassy and Karen Weiss from the New York Times had a great piece on this. He's basically been cleaning up Jeff Bezos's mess for a couple of years. Yeah. And the mess just got a lot bigger. It did. <laughs> it did. And the question is like is Amazon still going to be able to innovate like it was day 1 or is this really the dawn of day 2? <laughs> You know, <laughs> uh, yeah, it it really is. Um, I, I'm curious, Todd, to hear from you too, because I talk to sellers all the time, and I always ask them, you know, what do you think about this? Even last year, I was sitting at Accelerate and some of the other shows. What do you think about this? Yeah. This what if what if what if legislation gets passed? You know, Chuck Schumer killed the legislation last year uh, after in the lame duck session that could have easily passed. Um, what do you think if 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 the government or FTC or the DOJ break up Amazon? And 99% of the time, I've talked to well over 100 sellers, they all say, ain't going to happen. I don't have any faith and confidence in the government. And, and what's interesting about that, I, I did this exercise uh, not long ago where I looked at public opinion polls. <laughs> I, I looked at some ahead of knowing that we were going to be on the podcast. And you know, I just went online to YouGov that, that does a lot of polling, and, and what's the favorability rating of Amazon? It's like seventy-five percent of the public surveyed said we have a really good view. Ninety-nine percent know who they are. Of course, you can't avoid walking on the street or driving anywhere without seeing an Amazon logo in a in a van. But that public opinion poll is seventy-five percent. Then I looked at the administration's public opinion poll. Which is, you know, barely reaching forty percent. And then I looked at Congress, nineteen percent approval rating. So I put two and two together and said, now, I understand why the sellers feel this way. You know, the government can't get out of its own way. They're too busy fighting left and right to get anything done. Nothing is going to happen of this. When you're talking to those sellers and they're saying it's not going to happen, is that like resignation? In other words, they would want it to happen if it were possible, but they just don't think it'll ever happen? Well, it, it's a little bit of a mixed bag there. Most of them don't want to rock the boat. What they do want is things like buy box suppression to go away. Right. What they do want is help and support when their listing accidentally gets taken down by an Amazon bot. 
And I'm seeing great science about that, Todd. I, I hate to be so positive about Amazon on your podcast today, but but truly, <laughs> but truly, you know, the head of seller support said we've identified five million root causes to listing problems, and we've corrected them. Um, and so again, they're starting to apply that customer obsession. Finally, twenty years later, eighteen years later, that customer obsession to the seller experience. If they continue on this route. All of those people, those sellers that are pissed at Amazon are going to be leading the parade to, to keep them doing what they're doing. My other reaction to what you just said about the polls is, of course, I'm going to love a company that gets that package to me when I order it at noon by four o'clock or three o'clock or faster yeah. in some cases. Yeah. And isn't Amazon doing that in part by leveraging the fees that it's extracting from sellers. So so let's unpack those fees for a minute. Yeah. Certainly when I started selling on Amazon, I paid 15 cents on every dollar I got. It was a it was heaven. It was amazing. Then they introduced FBA, fulfillment by Amazon. Fulfillment by Amazon and uh, James Thompson, former uh, head of Sports and Outdoors and he was the original account manager for FBA when it launched, called me and said, "Jason, you got to get your stuff in FBA." I'm like, "I'm not doing that. I'm not sending my inventory in there." He goes, "Wait for the punchline, Jason. You get a 30% increase in your revenue with the Prime badge when you can prove that you can deliver in 2 days." Now, at that time in my business, I could not deliver in 2 days, and every item that I put in FBA, I watched my business grow. So now you got two fees. You got the seller take rate, 15%, and the FBA fee. Now, those fees have been going up quite a bit. Last year was particularly punishing. Sellers don't want to see that. Then they added the ad revenue. Then they added the ability to pay per click for a keyword to have your product show up in the top placement in the search results. That's a bidding platform. The cost per click is dependent on a number of things, including an algorithm, but also the willingness of other brands to bid higher uh, to drive that up, right? And so I hated it when the sponsored products was launched because I'd seen that movie before with Google PPC advertising, started a direct-to-consumer business paying a nickel a click. Before you knew it was $5, I could no longer make money on a sale because the cost of click was so high. And I, and I knew that that was going to happen. What I thought was going to happen and what my friend James Kelly thought was going to happen, you can't be a company that has a commission revenue model and an ad revenue model. They're going to have to lower the seller fees because they're making so much money. Sponsored ads, advertising product is making billions of dollars more than AWS in operating profit. Take that to the bank, right? And so we thought they're making so much money, maybe they can lower the seller fee. And I keep asking them that whenever anyone at Amazon with an at Amazon.com email reaches out to me and says, how can we do better? I say, lower your fees, lower it five points, and you'll never see a happier seller community in your life. And so what's happening, and this comes back, ties all the way back to your pricing discussion, right, Todd, is like, because those fees are so high, and look, I, I see a wide range. Some folks pay 5% of their sale on ads, others pay 30 on average, it's 10 to 15. And the CPG type products, the ones like toothpaste that you're going to reorder all the time and you can get subscribe and save, those sellers have bid up the cost per click so that it is 30%. They don't care about making money on the first order. They want to make money on the next six. And the big pool table items like I used to sell, you only sell on one pool table to that customer over the next 10, 15 years. 
if it's if it's good quality, you got to make money on that first order. So the ad spend as a percentage of that revenue is five percent, and it's everything in between. And so, you know, because those fee structures have gone up, it has reached. I believe the seller community has reached a tipping point where they have to raise prices. Right? They have to raise prices now. Can Amazon? I, I study these P and Ls every quarter. You know, we used to go through the quarterly reports. Can Amazon make money by lowering the seller fee? Here's what would happen: most sellers would go out there and lower lower their retail prices to get more volume. But the answer is, I believe that they can. I believe that the seller is the most profitable customer that Amazon has today, and the billions of dollars quarter in and quarter out that is shaking down to the bottom line of Amazon is going to fund bad stuff like brick and mortar stores that are losing money hand over fist. It's going to fund the next production of the Lord of the Rings series, right? That's not, Prime Video's not making any money. That money's coming from somewhere or it's going to fund the purchase of One Medical or some of these other things. And so- Project Hyper, satellites in low earth orbit. (laughs) There you go. That's it. You know, it's funding all of those things. So of course they can make money if they put it back into the system. And I know that their budgets, I know Darmesh's budgets are getting better, but that's full circle on this whole pricing thing. And sellers would love to see lower fees. They would love it. I'd love to see it. I'd love to see it for my clients. But to date, we haven't seen it. Maybe this pressure will help us there. I was just going to say, when you think about structural remedies, There's a court-ordered remedy, and as we saw with Microsoft, there's also practical effects, practical remedies. Yeah. Perhaps this is the thing that ultimately twists Amazon's arm and forces it to lower fees to the point that these pricing mechanisms aren't nearly as perverse as the FTC would allege, and they end up having to divest some of their other more far-flung projects. Please. Very interesting. Very interesting. I would not have- There's your next headline, Todd. I can't wait to read it. Why the FTC's (laughs) lawsuit is going to kill Project Kuiper. (laughs) There you go. That's a great one. (laughs) Oh, this is awesome. I love it. This is great. Well, hey, I could go on forever, um, but- Same here, Todd. Let's just, let's keep- uh, let's keep in touch on this. And uh, please, please, let's do this. Is this story is going to be the gift that keeps on giving? You know. <laughs> well, <laughs> for me, the next big thing is watching to see what happens with that redacted text, and <sighs> I don't know how much <sighs> effect it's going to have on the case itself. Certainly, I think it'll, it'll give us a sense for how strong the FTC's case is. But beyond that, I think it's just going to be some juicy reading. (laughs) Right? I mean, for us, it's going to confirm some of our suspicions that we have seen for decades. And um, I I can't wait. I can't wait to see it, Todd. Jason Boyce is the co-author of The Amazon Jungle and the founder and CEO of Avenue 7 Media. It's an agency that works with Amazon sellers. And Jason has his own podcast called Day 2. I encourage you to check it out. Hey, Jason, this has been really fun. Thank you. Thank you, Todd. Honor to be here. Thanks for having me back on the show. Thank you for listening to GeekWire, everybody. Be sure to subscribe, rate, and review the show in your favorite podcast app. Until next time, I'm Todd Bishop. We'll be back next week with a new episode of the GeekWire podcast.